Hello, it's Jack Chutier of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Kush Aurora, also known as Only Now, who just recently released a brand new EP, Black Wind, Merciless Destiny. This conversation with Kush went far and wide. He is also a prominent producer within reggae and dancehall circles. He's also clearly someone who is very well versed and passionately invested in a number of different musical circles. And we dig into that throughout the course of this conversation. This was a long one. I had a thoroughly great time digging into all these different territories with Kush. Another thing as well is that he also took me through a track-by-track breakdown of Blackwind Merciless Destiny, which I've included at the end of this podcast. We touch upon the themes and provide an intro at the beginning, but stick around because the final 40 minutes of the podcast are dedicated to a really fascinating breakdown to the socio-political context behind that EP and also his sonic process as well. You can find Kush on Bandcamp, onlynow.bandcamp.com, where you can also download the new EP. All proceeds are going to civil rights organizations working across the Bay Area and beyond. Also, you can find Kush on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just search Kush Aurora and it'll come up. Like I say, this was a great conversation. The new EP is absolutely fabulous as well. Please do check that out. And... As always, head to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for more information on Kush's picks and links to his music as well. Cool. That's all for now. Enjoy this conversation. Settle in. This is Kush Aurora, only now on Crucial Listening. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hello, how you doing? Nice to speak to you, Jack. Yeah, and to you, Kush. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, Now you've brought three important albums and an honourable mention as well. Um, Before we talk about those, uh, I wanted to touch on your new EP, um, Black Wind, Merciless Destiny. Um, So, I mean, to begin with, I feel like that the, the timescale of working on this EP is probably quite a pertinent point to touch on so how long did you work on this ep when did you start and and when did you wrap it up absolutely the time the time scale is very important the um, ep was started right around um i would say for the most part minus one song was started right around the tail end of february and march of this year right and it, it was very pertinent because I was actually due to be in your part of the world. I'm currently based in Berkeley, San Francisco area, and I was going to be in Europe doing my first Only Now 
tour with Discrepant and myself, Mukata, and a number of other people, uh, Gonzo, who runs the Discrepant label that has put out a lot of my work over mm. the past few years. We were all going to do uh, London, Bristol with the, the Bokeh version guys um, and um, Rotterdam, Amsterdam, Berlin. So I was due to be in Europe at that time and, and then corona stuff started really crumbling and yeah. the infrastructure here started crumbling a lot as well as well as the tour being canceled and you know and from then there on out all fucking hell broke loose in the states <laughs> so yeah it, it it really just propelled me to stay and and work on this um release in a really fastidious fashion i tend to work on a lot of projects at once um, without really stopping but sometimes they linger on for longer periods of time than maybe this record would just due to work and life, mm -hmm. you know, coming in the way and going out and not necessarily sitting at home on a Friday night and working on a release. Uh, <laughs> but those, you know, as you know, uh, me and Jack were discussing parented before the interview, like, you know, when you get, when you have certain slots of time, especially when, when you're a parent, you make as much utilization of them as possible <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. in ways that you would have never before. Nice. Uh, so it came together really quickly, you know, and it was done by the, t like it was done the month before month, like or f exactly one month before the release came out. So I wrapped up whatever mixing and mastering sometime in late in June, July, um, early July, and it was ready to roll. Hmm. So, Obviously, that straddling that period there started, you know, before everything really kicked in, as you say, with the crisis and the protests around the world. I mean, you mentioned in the text, or at least it's mentioned in the text, that your personal response to these factors is, you know, embedded in this this record. I mean, can you tell me about what's being incorporated in that and and how that has been channeled through into into this release? Absolutely. I mean, I think <clears throat> from a from a from a global and sort of philosophical perspective, um, first and foremost, I I can't believe that this shit didn't happen in the states earlier. On both fronts, on a on a, on a viral tip, as far as disease spreading, mm -hmm. and then then on the the uh, outrage that's happened with the succession of events. Um, around the killing of of black and brown people here in mm -hmm. in the united states the combination of the two is quite timely and i think that there that's why there's the black wind which is the virus and the merciless destiny which is as a brown man and at, and growing up especially near oakland and berkeley and and being part of like you know, resistance movements are sort of embedded into counterculture here um, in a very real way, you know, between having the Black Panthers around, having extremely um, fruitful um, activist media as well, as well as, of course, the music scene that is well known um, coming from here that mm -hmm. has long been a, a tradition. It's everything here that it's probably the most dis disparate financial part of the states san francisco is the most expensive city in the world so you have 
the most opposites in anywhere in this country. And it kind of all boils down right here. And the merciless destiny aspect of it is sort of the, the sense that absolutely doomed. And the music I make is pretty much fairly nihilistic in, mm. in a sense of my approach that I try to not make only now up to this point very specifically about um, current events. It was more about man's relationship to time, existence, um, things that sort of go beyond the ether. Um, not untypical of the genre, <laughs> you know, of experimental music or black metal or sort of like chaos philosophy and things like that. Uh-huh. But I think that when the sort of disease factor and the social justice factor came, I, I wanted to do a record which addressed the fact that I am actually very involved <laughs> in these things that are happening here. I go to protest. I'm not maybe the most, you know, activist person out there, but I definitely put my money where my mouth is. And this release, as well as all my records, if you go on my Bandcamp, all of it's free, basically. I, I don't give two fucking shits about how much money I make from these records. As far as I'm concerned, there's way bigger problems Mm -hmm. that are happening here in the world right now. And I want to just channel this money. I don't even care if somebody puts zero in band camp and just sends (laughs) the money to a cause that they like. Uh But I think the, 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 the lean back beyond the pale sort of uh, art approach is not going to really work for the moment and i felt like i had to engage a little bit more for me um, because i'm personally engaging so i want the art to reflect what i'm doing in in reality too and that's why sort of the title came into it and that's why it's mentioned because i really do feel that the everybody here they don't have really you don't have a choice of when you're in the states it's always been bad it's always been this scenario whether it was taped or not Mm -hmm. anybody on the ground here knows that it's this bad and i think that that's where a lot of the antagonism and the um the sort of hopelessness comes from my music as well as like-minded individuals it's just that now it's being amplified and you have people not only losing their jobs, but you have people killing each other on the streets. A guy got shot in Portland last night. I actually think it was some right wing dude. Um, but it doesn't matter because there's still people. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, tearing people's money out from underneath them, telling them that they can't do what they want to do and not providing a solution. And at the same time, brutalizing our brothers and sisters, uh, even more and literally recording it and then getting away with it it's just the perfect mix to tear this country and world apart it's happening in europe it's happening in brazil it's happening in in many places simultaneously and i feel like my conversations with people like yourself or other artists around the world that it we really do feel like this is just it's at this seemingly seemingly hopeless you know in in that sense this is what man has been designed to do they do it a millennia ago and we do, we're doing it again here except we're recording every bit of it and watching watching us destroy ourselves and um it's the destiny that we have hmm. you know we're abs- absolutely pitch black fucked <laughs> <laughs> um people should definitely check out this album i think as you've said already so all of the proceeds uh donated to civil rights causes and organizations in the bay area so 
people should definitely buy it. It's a wonderful music as well. It's not just about the causes it's going to, but um, Kush, where's the best place for people to pick that up? Yeah, and that, to be specific, it was uh, the Bay Area Anti-Repression Committee Bail Fund. And I think I'll, I'll probably donate it to something a little different this time because there's stuff happening in other parts of the country that might need more, um, based like Kenosha right now. Mm-hmm. But um, I would say get it on Bandcamp, frankly. Nice. And, but I'm not... I work at a company and I work within the streaming music industry. I have very mixed thoughts about all of that. Um, But I would encourage you, if you actually are going to buy it, get it there. If you're not going to buy it, still put zero there and then I'll be able to keep in touch with you, you know, um, and keep you aware because frankly, for the time being, you're not going to have to pay for any of my records. So might as well do it there and help me spread the word. And then um, you can add it to your Spotify playlist too. Why not? Okay, great. Well, Kush, let's talk about your important records. So I like to ask how you thought about the term important when coming up with your list. Um, So was there a particular way that you thought about the word important in order to come up with this list of albums? Yeah, there was actually. Um, I think I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure. Yeah. (laughs) I think I sent I sent some of this to Tim. I don't know if he passed yes, it along. Yes, he to did. You. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, the way I would describe the word important to me essentially is that I want to stress that these records were not the first records that maybe made my an impression on me in these genres Mm -hmm. if that makes sense i think a lot of people's like most important lists are ones that they heard and they were like i am into rap now yes or you know what i mean and i thought that was a bit boring because there seems to be sort of a collective continuum not now not for kids who grew up in the fucking 2000s and beyond but for guys like me who i'm like 39 this year so like for somebody who's an 81 baby there were an and you did not live on uh brick lane <laughs> you know <laughs> i did live near the hate and telegraph which is as far as music concerned just as much going on uh-huh. um but like you know but so it's not fair even for me to to say that it's like suburban but i grew up in more or less a suburban environment and in the 80s and 90s you know you had an x amount of records that everybody could agree on kicked ass so um i tried to stay away from records that were collectively are collectively spoken about you Uh know um and just by default i and because i'm just a little off or whatever like none of those records were the ones that really did it for me personally so for me i think they're, they're records that defined where i ended up as a musician and were particularly emotional to me and have never left being emotional or impactful to me and i, I can go back and not go oh well you know and actually there are only like three good songs on this piece of shit <laughs> everything else is like everything else is everything else is actually kind of normal right and you know be able to to as a grown man who's worked in the industry for over 20 years like be able to say okay you know what actually this all still holds weight it wasn't just me being an excitable teenager and just being really excited about the personality and the imagery and the the mysticism of the art at the time Mm -hmm. so I, i think that's you know really important and i think too important would be if i hadn't heard these records i would be making different types of music than i am now and my records would sound very very different and then three 
especially for the latter two records, they're records that reinvigorated me to come back to the reasons and the, the mental, physical, and um, musical reasons I started working on music in the first place. So sort of something that goes like, oh, you know what, man, this record's so fucking cool. Like, this is why I ruined my life to work in the music business. This is it. This is why I did it. Because I want to touch this. Like, this is what I wish I could do. So it's sort of, there's this, there's a there's an element of of striving towards capturing the emotions that these guys put together that makes them important. I think that's the, that's the real, the ultimate overarching factor is like, I want to tap into whatever these guys tapped into to make them have this type of energy. That's the type of energy I like in my music. Great answer. Um, well, let's yeah. go for your first record, because if you give me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well. Absolutely. So let's go with good old uh, Skinny Puppy to Dark Park. This release was a mind bender for me. I think with a lot of people the first time they heard it, too. This was released in 1990. Okay. So I didn't hear it the year it came out. I was nine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't think I quite had an appetite for Skinny Puppy yet. <laughs> but it was only a few years later that I did. So, uh. you know. Um, so... I'll tell you how I found the record, which is sort of funny. Um, so in the 90s, there was, and I think somebody else mentioned this on one of your previous episodes, but there was this fucking Columbia House mail service in the States, which was like this um, Columbia House was part of Sony or something like that. And you would, they had this like scheme where basically you would sign up and you think you would get like five tapes for free or whatever. And they would get your address and then you would become a member and it would continually start billing you <laughs> and you'd get all whatever uh, cassettes that were distributed heavily. So I had been, everybody I know, basically when we were kids, we all had like fake address names and addresses or whatever put each other's addresses and we would sign up for like 20 of these <laughs> so we would be just getting free tapes by the dozens wow. and most of them were trash it was like all like not the prime like there would be like guns and roses or whatever and like you know onyx or whatever big <laughs> 90s music was around but there would also be a lot of like leftovers and things that like weren't thought of i had gotten ministries um new world order and mine is a terrible thing to taste around that time. And I had recently, and so this was, I was, let me think. I believe it was 1994 that I got this release. So it was like three or four years after it came out. I was like 12, I think, when I got it. I'm pretty sure. It was like fourth or fifth grade. So 10, 12, 11, wow. somewhere around there. And... There was a magazine, so there was like this free book club where a lot of us were getting like free metal and like cheesy like electronic, like sort of mainstream electronic releases or rap records. Um, and it was all the stuff that was mostly on MTV. So there wasn't like anything that like you wouldn't see if you were watching MTV as a kid. Uh -huh. At the time, mind you, like Al Jurgensen was on MTV. It wasn't just a bunch of hoes and shit and reality shows. It was like there was actually like some decent music on MTV. So I liked Ministry. Um, 
I also was like, you know, was in playing Metallica. I was playing drums. I was listening to a lot of Sepultura at the time mm. and things like that. And then I had, I almost put Godflesh Cold World for this first record. The only reason I didn't is because it's such a short record and it didn't really expand as much as the Skinny Puppy release did. But mm-hmm. the same trip to the store, I went to the like hard rock or metal section and then I saw Godflesh and I saw Skinny Puppy. And I was like, I didn't know what either one, but the names caught me mm-hmm. and the art caught me. And this art was done by a guy named um, Bill Cummings, I believe, who did the two Park Dark album. It did a lot of Skinny Puppy's uh, artwork moving forward from that point. And I took it home, and us guys were like skateboarding or whatnot. And I remember hearing these two records and just being like, wow, <laughs> holy shit, this is really something different, you know? And you got to think like, I'm isolated, I'm not in an urban center. At that point, I was very close to urban centers, but I wasn't like, I didn't have an older brother or older sister. I only had my own input and the radio and what I would find and a a local magazine called BAM, which was called Bay Area Music Magazine, uh, which I'll get into a little bit later in this conversation. But essentially that would have adverts of popular bands at the time and things like that. And I think I had seen this mentioned there somewhere who would have reviews and it would list the local record stores and whatnot. So there was some sort of like vague, sort of in the ether uh type of like knowledge about this stuff but i didn't really know much about it you know mm. and um when i turned the record on it just it just blew me away i remember me and my best friend who we still like make records today like we were just like wow what is this <laughs> like what is this music you know like is this electronic music is this heavy metal is this like um I had heard the term industrial. I knew that this was industrial music by like after a day or two of like just like digging around and trying to find out what the story was with these guys. Mm. There was internet at that time. So there was like some like dinky article I think I found on a BBS about Skinny Puppy. I think from the moment this record opens, um, it's got like pipe drumming. It's got all types of... um, processing techniques it's probably the most dense skinny puppy record it's also probably one of the most dense cohesive records i've still heard to date Mm. you know um especially from the genre and it shows that skinny puppy was an art band and not like a rock or metal band like or ministry like ministry and some of the other acts it showed that there, there was technique intent and intention and new technology seven key is still probably to me one of my I would put him in my top three producers for me, period, overall, because he really pioneered um, like squeezing every bit of life out of an electronic um, into it. Um, Their records, like I would say that they're, it, the record oscillates a lot like my music. It's completely bipolar. It like goes between full on like sampled pipes, like in the song um, Pat Spasmolithic, um, there, which I really stuck with me. And you hear in the Merciless Destiny record and all the Only Now releases, there's always sampled metal in a sort of skinny puppy or now Bowton fashion. Hmm. Um, so that really has left an impression on me. And there's a sort of like weird white boy funk like that they mm-hmm. have, you know, yeah, totally. like, um, like tormentor nature's revenge, shore live poison, um, 
I'm looking through the tracks, they're really groovy. Like, it's <laughs> not just like Depeche Mode type music. It's really, really got like multiple layers. It's not just like I hear New Jack swing in there. I hear funk in there. Hmm. And I hear like where there's patterns where there's drums basically, there's snare drum patterns where you would hear a New Jack swing beat and then you hear like a quarter or half beat later like a typical industrial type beat from that era and they kind of slap on top of each other and they cut the beats out and so for me this record like really changed the way i thought about rhythmic structure from just knowing a jazz rock perspective as a drummer at the time and i was playing drums as a kid at the time and then it really taught me a lot about how electronic music or sort of traditionally more I guess you could say sort of more white sounding <laughs> electronic music, uh -huh. how it could really have some of the elements that I liked from reggae and funk and, and hip hop and things like that, where there's a lot of like funky bass lines mm -hmm. in the skinny puppy record that they don't get credit for. Like nobody talks about the fact that seven key actually has quite a groove going on in a lot of this record people always talk about ogres screaming about veganism and all i didn't even under fucking understand any of that <laughs> shit at the time i still have to look at the words right. for a lot of the records that i have on my list um <laughs> the words were always sort of like not that important to, uh -huh. me, to be frank i never sat and reread the lyrics of this because it, when i tried to they did not make sense especially as a child um that just concepts are far beyond that of a junior high student, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm not vegan, but I really do appreciate the intention of it. Um, and when I listen to it, it always makes me feel guilty that some of my favorite bands are vegan, like Carcass and Skinny Puppy and stuff like that. But <laughs> um, those songs really changed it. And it's just it stands and I urge anybody who's not heard this record and heard like latter skinny puppy which is mostly trash to me and then early skinny puppy which is really cool but not that original to really see this record and um last rites which are brilliant collage work so there's elements of sampling from films such as um communion which is one of my favorite movies about alien abduction from um whitley striber there's um some sampling from news items at the time and um there's just very advanced synthesis and, and sampling techniques, and it's incredibly psychedelic. And it, there's yeah. hard cuts in the record that just make no sense. <laughs> and I really try to incorporate that in some of these releases that I do, too, where when you're done, you're done. Right. There's no reason to, to belabor the fucking song, to go, art is art. Like, this is like a painting. This is not just like a record. And I think that's what is really beautiful. And that's that's what I took away from Skinny Puppy is like, you don't have to make records you can make paintings mm -hmm. and you can treat them like sonic collages and they can still be musical because not everything has to be like experimental music to be a sonic collage you can be actually something that has notes and words and choruses and all that jazz so i think that's what i kind of took away from this record and i still listen to it happily on any given day and if we were to play a clip of one of the tracks here, do you have a favorite standout? I would say Spasmolithic, probably. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I would say that. And then after that, maybe um, Tormentor. And it's so icy. It's like either the record's totally like spazzy and, and really, really intense, or it's really, really 
like grave wisdom or tormentor the songs are really really laid back mm. and they're they're really really sinister and uncomfortable and um i think that they really really make you think um it brought me to a place where i could become more comfortable with uncomfortable emotions and um I think Ogre was kicking dope heroin during this while he recorded this record that's well known and spoken about. And he speaks about that in the record and the sort of that pain and emotion. I was a very, very alone child at the time. I had a very, I have a very, very nice family, very good relatives. I don't have anything like horrible um, <laughs> to talk about traumatic <laughs> upbringing or anything. Uh huh. But growing up Indian in the 90s in the suburbs in America, you know 80s 90s you're alone you know mm. you're alone you get teased people don't understand you um there's a huge disconnect also within our generation you know between our parents and 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 us as, as well so i think at that time that was all kind of coming together for me as a child as a young man more properly but um and i think that this really helped me through that time Great, well, let's go to your second important record, Kush. If you could give me the name of it and then a bit about why it's important to you as well. Absolutely. The second one is the Jaw Warrior Showcase, which was released in 1999. And um, that is a... There's a few Jaw Warrior Showcases um, out there, um, but this is a a compilation by the the mighty, uh, heavy, heavy steppers producer. Uh, Jaw Warrior from the UK, hmm. who is a very influential figure and sort of carried the torch for Joshaka um, in UK. So, to take me back, I was familiar with reggae. I never really cared about reggae too much growing up, but I definitely had learned what dub was by the time I was in, you know, not long after. You know, sometime in the in the 90s, I was familiar with what dub was and dub and jungle and all those genres. You know, I was listening to like Muslim Gaz and Badawi and uh, Mad Professor and stuff like that. I didn't necessarily get into like Rastafarian true reggae music until high school, though. Mm-hmm. And I think another real close on this instead of this, I almost put Sizzla Kalonji's breakout album, Kalonji. Um, Sizzla's first album because that was a real revolutionary release as well but it just didn't influence me musically as a producer as much as this did Um, and I had gotten into you know Sizzla, Capleton, all the 90s greats dance hall and roots artists that were around um, from a spiritual message from their their socially conscious sort of the punky reggae you know the punk and the reggae it goes together right especially in uk you guys all know that but in the states uh-huh. is not as not was not as apparent there was operation ivy which was a local band that we all grew up with and so we had that ska american ska punk background but we didn't have the same uk sound system background uh-huh. that you would have if you grew up on that side of the pond so berkeley had its punk 
and ska, you guys had your steppers. And, you know, it's a sort of different type of thing, but a lot of the same type of people. And I had never really heard bass lines hit this heavy till I heard this. I had heard like Fotec and stuff, but the deconstruction and the um, sort of the the religious fervency in a lot of the lyrics and stuff, even though I'm not religious, mm. stuff from Peter Broggs, Huey Isaacar, African Simba, Tennis Stalin. These are all sort of underground UK uh, roots and culture heroes from that era. And I think that this was really stood to me and, and, and it influenced me. You can hear it even in like the Merciless Destiny record, this sort of like shield, mighty sp- spear and shield type of torch that dub carries Uh it's unrelenting it's uncompromising it has a formula and it's unabashedly you know pro roots and culture music you know and Mm -hmm. it's something that i'm about and um this really sort of got me into producing dub and i've gone on to do so many dub records under my name um uh, even releasing some with blackout ja uh, a record called outlaw that came out in March too, right before all this shit hit the fan too. So it's sort of kept me along the lines of dubs. I feel like I was moving away from reggae and I was producing a lot of dance hall type beats at that time and late in high school and late nineties, early two thousands. And, um, this really grounded me back into dub music, which ended up me spiraling into me doing a collective with a partner of mine called Surya Dub here, Mm. which was a very popular club night here in San Francisco and bringing folks like Bug over and things like that and being part of another night here called Dub Mission, which was like the longest um, running dub night that a DJ Sepp and Manish um, started here and they would often include me to come play and I would do dubbing for artists like Dr. Israel and open for guys like a lot of these UK dub artists when they would come through. So, um, dub is definitely a foundation for me. I didn't necessarily grow up as invested in it as I did some of the heavier or darker genres of music, but I still see this as like as heavyweight as anything, um, to me. So, yeah. And, um, when you think back to experiences listening to this, this record, um, initially, like when you discovered it, put me back there, like, what are you doing? Where are you? How old are you? (sighs) I think it's like 1999. So that was my junior year of high school. I remember going to um, Rasputin Records in Berkeley, California, Telegraph Avenue. Me and another friend, um, we would go through the UCD bins and get hauls of it. The cover art wasn't particularly good. It's actually pretty shit. (laughs) It's embarrassing. I just thought that the idea that there was this warrior thing there and it was like had all these sounds these speakers lined up and i was like what is this this seems like different (laughs) i listened to it i asked a local radio host who i'm still friends with today a guy named spliff skanky i said what is this man this is like this looks different this doesn't look like like another like sizzla record or whatever and he's like yeah i think you should check it out you know you like other types of music and when i put it in the car us guys are sitting blazing in the berkeley hills and stuff like that and we're just sitting there going oh my fucking god dude listen to these bass lines what do they do and we were trying to deconstruct within 10 minutes of listening to the record us guys were on our way home to figure out how to make bass lines like this and we drove i had a novation bass station at the time and we were like i think they're putting reverb on all the bass (laughs) and so we went back home and i had a sr16 alesis drum machine i had fruity loops 
at the time i was fruity loops 1.0 young boys who are listening man that's how og <laughs> shit goes but like we were using fruity loops 1.0 at the time cubase and i remember we opened up we had my novation base station and we were trying to figure out we spent months trying to figure out what the hell these guys were doing and then i figured out they were using spring reverbs then i got to understand about reverb so this was like a sort of education in dub for mm. me you know i deconstructed it time and time again then i learned who josh Aka was and so on and so forth you know but it was weird because i knew what mad professor was doing and i knew what dj spooky and like other sort of more like electronica leaning dub artists were doing but it didn't quite the production didn't quite make sense to me until i heard this record Kush, let's uh, talk about your third important record then. If you could tell me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important to you as well. Absolutely. This uh, record has come to us from Volan, um, which is a L.A. area-based band. Um, and their record is called Ak Ab Al, A-Q-A-B-A-L, with apostrophes between each of those uh, there. So I'm probably mispronouncing it, but that's what the, that's where you can find it and it's actually <laughs> pretty hard to find outside of um it's it was on Bandcamp and they yeah. took it off but you'll find it on pillage throughout like the metal underground like you know file sharing sites and you can find it physically i think they repressed it on vinyl and i have a cassette of it which comes with beautiful artwork like a pretty elaborate one of those tall cassettes oh you know yes. which has like it's like the size of like a huge smartphone yes. like a tablet <laughs> and you open it up and it has full color art open it up has a tape and then it has uh, a separate lyrics which are in 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 spanish and in english because it's all wow. sung, sung in spanish and then um a separate like poster and artwork so it's quite an elaborate and collector's piece that i managed to find a little after i got it but um yeah this is this group really 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 took me by um by surprise when i heard them for the first time and as i think that they sort of have with most most people um they've been called probably the most refreshing band in metal um or even punk circles in california um and pretty much worshipped by all those who who've come to know of them and they're part of a greater uh, group of people called a uh, black twilight circle mm. which includes a whole bunch of other bands with intermingling members like arzimende blue hummingbird on the left um and a, and a few other notable ones but they're the real deal i mean there's there's no there's not when i heard this record the first time i didn't expect i thought i was going to be like kind of another punky thrashy black metal record from california or <laughs> um 
or I, I actually thought they were from South America the first time I heard it, um, which makes total sense with the Sepultura and um, sort of like there's a really burgeoning metal and punk scene in Chile um, in particular, right, in Brazil right now. And so that's what I thought what, what I was getting. And what I ended up getting was probably the most like juxtapositioning, um, you know, on one hand, it's just like a has all the elements of the genre that you would expect but at the same time it's interminably californian music to me you know hmm. um it's it's all sung in spanish it's all about like mesoamerican themes and pride and resistance and all the different rituals associated with um you know what somebody would vaguely associate with mayan and aztec philosophy um, the imagery is all based on that too if you take a look online it's a beautiful hand-drawn artwork and some archaeological digs there um, and the themes and the lyrics are more or less in that too sort of um, you know ritual self um, cosmic universe type of aztec philosophy things um which you know granted it's screamed it's hard to sort of tell what's going on and it's in a different language so right. i had to re read it but you get it and i think the most notable thing of this band is that there's something like it's a cross between like really fervent wild sprawling punk but with the structure and the tone and and um like elegance of what would be metal and black metal and then it just breaks into like Native American flutes and, and, and Mexican flute stuff with crazy, crazy guitar solos that like right. break out in the middle of each of the songs. And I think that's probably what you heard too, which is so notable and different about it. Mm. Like the first song, Najit, Najtir Ichik, is 13 minutes. And then the group just sort of like, the songs spiral on top of each other. You know, there's super fast surfy riffing going on. There's melodies happening. The guy's wailing away. The drums are pounding away. And then somehow it all rolls into a ball. And then um, Eduardo, who's the lead singer as well as the main guitarist, just starts doing these beautiful solos, which are sort of influenced a lot by Spanish guitar, as mm. much as they are classic metal as well and it, it hits it right in that moment where it's sort of like it's got this sort of like classic 80s kind of like epic metal vibe to it yes. in the sense of the solos but the rest of the music around it is just totally out there and cacophonous so it's a it's a true juxtaposition where you're like you're getting the super raw southern california mexican punk energy which is a very local and it's like a sort of a burgeoning scene i'm actually due to go to a native american metal metal festival in october that some of these guys are throwing oh, um if, the, if it's actually gonna happen i don't yeah. know if I'm even welcome, you know, it's sort of like, it's like a sort of a, sort of a hard thing to gauge, you know, mm -hmm. I have a funny story about playing a native American music festival by them mistaking me being Indian as native American, but that's, that's for something else. But, um, but they're really neat. I urge anybody who's, who's, who's got it in them to check this band out. If you have any strain of love for punk metal death rock these types of things and what's so beautiful that i took away from this band um and really changed and i repped them super hard you see me wearing their shirt at like half my shows um and i've seen them live and they're even fucking better live than they are on record um is their solos 
like in track one, track three, um, and track five of these Koyopa, Bonamak, and then the first song that I mentioned, the interludes between the songs are just simply some of the most beautiful pieces of like um, instrumental guitar. It's so emotive in right. uh, guitar work where you're hearing this crazy storm. There's a lot of other like crazy psychedelic metal and proggy bands out there, but what they lack is that musicality and that you can tell like these guys basically like from what I gather, like they're all true punkers. They all live in like they're probably their parents' basements. They live the rock and roll lifestyle for sure. Um, that don't seem to have like any other thing going other than this label. And um, in in all reality, I thought that they would be like a much bigger band. They are like in the top echelon of American black metal for sure. Like in that, if not in the top two or three bands that actually made an impact um, on a worldwide level, especially their label ecosystem. They played a lot of the sort of cult festivals across Germany and Europe and things. But I simply think that they're just such like true dudes that they're not going to be ever like a big phenomenon other than what they are. Like mm. they're never going to sell out and they're just going to continue to do this type of stuff. They don't even put their music on most of the sites. You can't find it anywhere. Right. So <laughs> they're, they play that, you know, they're that type of metal band, you know, or punk band, as you may say. But the, um, I think, I don't know. I mean, when you heard it the first time, did you feel like the, the sort of instrumentation and the melodies and stuff kind of like, it kind of took me by surprise. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm so glad you spent a lot of time there talking about the tone of it, because that, is precisely what hit me i think most prominently listening to this for the first time is that as i was progressing through the record i was repeatedly having my perception of what this record is overturned by the tonal shifts that took place that then seemed to open another doorway into like a a, a whole different area that they were exploring like there was just you know there'll be a riff that comes in and it's like oh wow okay i didn't realize that that could be incorporated into this this picture and it just keeps pushing outward and outward like that as you go, which I thought was amazing. And I also think, I mean, they play hard, right? This You mentioned there's clean interludes and stuff, but the, the energy when they're really going at it is is pretty relentless. So I think it's amazing that they can sustain that intensity, but also engagement, like from a listening perspective, yeah. for like the whole 13 minutes of that opening track. And, and, you know, it's a long record as a whole as well, but it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's it, and it's fucking emotional. Like it's right. really like it's it really hits. There's something like that hits the teen, the teen, the teen angst like emotive button real hard <laughs> with the way that they do the solos. Like yes. it's like total like hands in the air, fucking Top Gun type of shit. <laughs> but not because it's very at the same time it's sort of like yeah it has that in it, but it's placed in like a psychedelic black metal. And then mm -hmm. there will be, you know, a second later there'll be, and there's beautiful Spanish guitar picking. Obviously, the main guy is trained in 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 Spanish guitar because like mm. when you watch him play, if you see videos of it online, um, I think the European tour videos do it, do it best. Um, but like if you see his the way his hands move and things online, it's just it's relentless and it's and it's and it's obviously he's a trained musician and it's not just like another riffing metal band but i think they really capture california's energy really well of what the punk and metal scene has been maybe the past decade plus 
of what is exportable out of the state beyond just like you know adding to the pile because there's a lot of great punk and metal bands and all over the world but the question is what do they do that actually keeps them as fresh as when the genres broke out and i feel like to me since like literally the late 90s i hadn't heard anything in the genre maybe short of like blue dust nord and a few other sort of mm. out there projects as well but i hadn't heard anything that actually was a would be appealing to the fans of the genres and also simultaneously actually really innovative musically you know with the imagery the whole package is like a whole it's very mystical you know the whole deal but when you see them in person they don't act like they're too fucking cool for school like they're, <laughs> they're clearly real people who know how to party and have a good time and, and make great records so it's not like you're seeing sun O and you're trying to like right. you know you're seeing like some type of like mysterious thing and then Stephen O'Malley is like making nice podcasts and having conversations like you and I <laughs> I don't think those guys actually have these types of conversations but they seem like pretty chill dudes you know like when you see them in, in at the shows and stuff so for me this kind of like hit me in a really different way because I had been getting back into the genre as I had mentioned earlier in the in the podcast uh is sort of what I grew up on but this took me back to that energy and made me really want to um change the way that I did my records and and I, I can say that this band is responsible pretty much, I would say, 80% responsible for me placing interludes in all my releases. That I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, because I've, it was always my favorite thing. Like, I love metal drumming and guitar and all that. I would always say the weakest element of most music to me is the vocals. No matter what genre, whether it's rap, metal, punk, or fucking, you know, choral, other than choral music, like the least favorite thing to me is always the vocals if i always have one big bone to pick i would be like that band is dope but it would be great if there was no singer <laughs> like just period you know mm -hmm. so i've always been drawn to the interludes and these like classic records from the genres that we've grown up with um because it was always like oh this is like just really really this shows the talent of the musicians and it's really beautiful and it segues things and for me with the genres that have influenced my beat work, whether it's like GQOM, Kaduro, um, Dancehall, um, IDM, you know, it's all coming together in one place. But one thing that always is missing to me is the sort of fairy tale and storytelling and emotion that mm. might happen where you can break the record and you can set a different tone in the release. And Volan does that with like pure brilliance. Like I think that the, I was actually going to do a mix of all my favorite um, intros and outros from bands like that and do that as a, like a SoundCloud mix shortly, um, which will just have all my favorite. It'll have my my stuff that are my interludes and out outros, which sound like piss poor compared to these bands. But like <laughs> you can tell that I'm trying to imbibe the spirit of that and use it with physical modeling synthesizers since I don't play guitar and like, you know, put a little bit of a, my own spin on it. Um, but when you hear the end of like Black Wind Part 2 and then you hear the Volan record, you'll be like, oh, I get it. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and that and then also the frenetic energy that they have. And I think I had hit a wall um, as a composer and, and producer like sometime in maybe 2014 or 15, which is when this project started, where I had done two releases 
for this project in, in, until 2017 or so. And um, I had a release coming up for um, Infinite Machine out of Mexico City. And I was like, I need to make this, like, I need to bring something to the table here that is not being done, you know? And at the same time, I'm hanging out every Friday or Thursday night at, at local bars that are playing, these bands are playing at, you know? Mm. And trying to get experience or influence from other scenes that aren't just, you know, versed in the experimental electronic world, you know? And those, and this band was kind of, and still is to me, like one that gets me juiced. I mean, I'll make something that doesn't sound at all like Volan after listening to them, um, like the Blackwind um, part or Merciless Destiny part one, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I'm trying to bring that type of like storm of energy and sort of unhinged sense that you get. It's very clear that this is super unhinged music when you hear it, um, but how to bring that into our world, into the electronic music world, where you can't just like, it's a lot harder to just drop things and shatter the songs apart and um, change the energy of things. So, yeah, it's a true, I can't stress enough how, how, how excited I am about that band and like what I want to see them do. They just had a recent vinyl come out, but I think... For any musician, it'll inspire you how to break free of your own boundaries and and start thinking outside the box of how something can still be incredibly musical, but at the same time very challenging and at the same time extremely confrontational. Let's go on to your honourable mention, Kush. You've got one more record here to talk about. Uh, so, yeah, tell me the name of it and then a little bit about why it's important too. Yeah, so this one is a true ambient gem, and I and I think maybe your listeners may be more familiar with ambient music than they are underground black metal, but <laughs> that's only an, only an assumption. Um, and this came out of the legendary... Uh, fax recordings if you know ambient music in the 90s you'll know that this was like i think it like the 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 cream of the crop you know it had um it was run by pete namluk in germany who sadly has passed unfortunately a number Mm. of years back um and fax released countless amounts of cds are you familiar with their catalog at all like the The name rings such a bell and i can't recall any artists or records on them right now so i'd love to hear you lay out who was on there because i'm sure it will join the dots for me yeah so fax was uh started by um namluk and uh also a few other guys in frankfurt and um I guess Peter Coleman was the, the original founder, but it had Hearts of Space, Pete Namluk, Claus Schultz, um, who right. is you know just a, the synthesis legend of of sorts, uh, the Fire of, of Orcs, um, Tetsu Ino, 
as well. Mm. Um, sh- I'm looking. I'm looking on Discog right yeah, now just because it's Laszlo. so. It's such a wild collection of stuff. Um, yeah. Jonah Sharp, right? Right. Um, and I think that I think Adam Hart and Bill Laswell's records did really well. Adam Hart, Tetsu Inu, and Bill Laswell, their Psycho Navigation series. This is in the in the prime Bill Laswell Axiom Dub era, and this is him doing sort of German kraut psychedelic ambient collaborations hmm. with these guys. So it, it to say that it it's it's like I mean, I don't even think that there's really a ambient label to date that has had such heavy hitters in one place when you really think about like the broad spectrum of the music um like where else are you going to find claus schultz and bill laswell on the same release (laughs) right next to right next to ambient music is there's nothing and hearts of space too which i believe was uh, carl stone um Hmm. and I, i mean there's so many I'm going through this. There's just so many of these releases. Yeah. And they were all branded in a really cute way. I was going to say, they're they, gorgeous as well, the artwork. The, the artwork is really cool. They're basically like a, they always have like a little earth type shape and they'll have like a, a circle and they'll have um, like one little circular graphic. Most of them, most of them look like that. Oh, higher intelligence agency was on here. I mean, shit. <laughs> Gaudi, who's like sort of more of a new, like a, a world music. Um, he does a lot of uh, world music, but most of these guys are still active, you know, in, mm-hmm. in essence. And at the time, Fax was very well stocked in any record store that I went to here in the states, and even when I was in internationally. And I think I went to UK in in, in junior high, and I saw it in the record stores there as well, and. Um, you know there was a fax office also in san francisco and uh the man who ran that was a dude named who's quite eclectic and now is a sort of an established painter whose name was charles uzel edwards who's a who was a british national who lived here in the the hate district of san francisco you know the place the famous hippie area you know Uh where i used to spend a lot of my time on the weekends um sifting through mixtapes and there were a few rave shops on that street one called amoeba not the famous uh, san francisco amoeba records but amoeba um as in like a original san francisco acid house and um rave shop and they even used to carry clothes that psychic tv and stuff would buy and make and stuff like that So, you know, give, that's the landscape around 95, 96. I got, the, I think the record came out in 1993. I got it um, from a record store in, uh, I think, I believe in 95 or 96. And um, that also was like another, I had mentioned Skinny Puppy, but this was not a few, few years later. But I would say this was really, really influenced me um, into fully delving into electronic music and it was the first time i had heard like a double disc of ambient music and ambient sort of trip hop um psychedelic dub breakdowns by two synth masters you know and um jonah sharp is a san francisco legend and he used to go by space time continuum he still does and he Ah. still releases music Mm -hmm. so jonah sharp and charles azell were doing stuff here in the in that area 
Jonas still lives in San Francisco and is active um, here. And I've had the honor of actually playing with him at a, at, at a local synthesizer shop once and talking to him every now and then. He's a beautiful person and still makes extremely compelling music with a rig that would make any any musician completely jealous <laughs> and then pete namlick was sort of the german ambient god of the 90s and beyond until his uh, unfortunate passing they came together and the beauty of this disc is just unrelenting howling acid squelches that are just it really feels like you're in an alien community mm-hmm. like it's it's i don't know i mean it's there was a lot of other stuff on the label that i liked but this in particular sort of um exposed the synthesizer to me in ways that i didn't know because they only used a few synths on this record and it it seems like it's essentially the same sound set for the whole record like if if you notice it's like it's two uh, two full discs it just goes on and on and the cool (laughs) part is you can actually play the shit at the same time on two separate cd players what both parts yeah, there was like a, it's like the Floyd type of thing, but I, I had somebody locally had said, oh, play Alien Community, like queue up two CDJs and then just press start at the same time and put the mixer in the middle and see what it comes of it. And some of it is pretty brilliant, actually. Wow. Uh, I don't think, that, I don't know. I have to still, I, I was sort of afraid to ask Jonah about that the time that I spoke to him because I was still being such a fanboy and just excited <laughs> about the fact that we were in the same room and talking. But, um... I once this shit is over, Corona stuff's over. And next time I see the dude, I got to ask him about that. And um, it influenced me to buy uh, something that I mentioned earlier, my first bass synthesizer, which was a Novation bass station, which had acid sounds and things like that. And then I borrowed a reverb pedal from my guitarist buddy, bought a boss delay pedal shortly after and then spent you know time trying to try to deconstruct and figure out what these geniuses were doing you know with their synthesizers i never really figured it out at the time other than how to make the acid sounds and the drones um it took me a number of years to really understand uh the level that this record was engineered at um Hmm. but it's it's sprawling ambient with um what's so notable about it is there was a lot of like really bad breakbeat influenced music in the nineties and beyond and in, especially in the ambient and down tempo community. Right. Um, and it's dated. Like when you hear it, it sounds like shit in 2020, <laughs> you know, like you're like, Oh God, I got to sit through this loop for fucking like <laughs> the next 15 minutes. Like, and as a drummer, it, drummers fall two ways. Drummers either love breakbeats or they hate breakbeats because they're missing that human element. And I fall into the not a fan of the breakbeats mm-hmm. world because I grew up playing drums. And when I hear just somebody sampling a drum beat and not changing it, and it just like keeps looping and it just seems like it's completely overlooked, even though the rest of the music is like expansive around it. Right. Um, and that's very true of a lot of popular 90s british and american electronic music like i don't like portishead i don't like a lot of these bands because they're <laughs> the 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 whole thing is ruined by the lackadaisical approach to the drums um you know to me um some do it better than others but i don't it it sort of drives me crazy and what was different about this release 
other than a lot of releases that sat alongside was that the it was actually a lot of breaks in this record but they were treated and ducked and i think they were run through the synthesizers the more i hear the record over the years um where they were submerged and aquatically filtered in such a way that the whole thing um kept it moving and it's filtered in synchronicity with um the the arpeggiators and the synthesizers so in the first disc and in the second disc I think there's like 20, 30 minutes of where it's the same two or three arpeggiators and they're changing the synthesis, um, the way that the synthesis is being done across the, the track. And it's just really expansive. It's um, it's really has a hollow feeling, which is something I try to go for in my mm. music too, where it feels like it's metallic and it's hollowed out. Yes. Um, and you hear that in pretty much every song I do in some element. And I think... I learned that from the Alien Community record. And um, I bought a synthesizer about four years, four four years ago, maybe five years ago. Um, a Dave Smith, which is a local synthesis brand. Him and Roger Lynn are, you know, two very famous um, keyboard and drum machine manufacturers. And uh, they put out the, uh, the Voyager, the Prophet, these are synthesizers that are like, you know, in the halls of synthesis. Um, and um, I bought the uh, version called the Pro 2, which is a synthesizer that Dave Smith made. And um, I, over the last four or five years, I've kind of learned to recreate my favorite moments um, wow. from this record. And I, seeing Jonah Sharp play live for the first time actually kind of helped me put that all into perspective because we were doing it at a synthesizer store, which my friend who sold me the synthesizer used to work at actually, um, <laughs> a guy named Carson day. Who's a quite an influential, um, synth synth man here in the Bay area. And you can see him on the Dave Smith website. And, um, there's a lot of drum machines like the tempest and things, and you'll see him explaining and giving the demos of it. Um, hmm. but he, he sold me this synthesizer and then a year or so later, he, I, and Jonah Sharp all played together at this, sh- at this local shop robot speak. And, and I saw Jonah in action. And then now that I had an, a really advanced synthesizer, I kind of like came back to this record and was like, Oh, I wonder how they did this. Like, you know, because in, at that time I was a kid. I didn't really understand synthesis other than the basics of what this type of sound wave did and what the cutoff and resonance, you know, did on a synthesizer. I didn't really understand the whole architecture of synthesis. Right. Um, but, you know, by the time I was in my 20s, I did. And um, But I haven't owned many synthesizers. That's the funny thing. I only had that base station, which I sold for drugs later on in my late teens. And then uh, after that, there was, let's see, the Nord Modular, which was the first digital modular synthesizer, which is still right here sitting next to me in my in my uh, studio. Um, and then I didn't have any synthesizers until I bought this. So I pretty much have worked most of my records without owning any synths and done most of it in VSTs or reactor or borrowing equipment from other people or like showing up to somebody's house, recording a few bits and then leaving. Hmm. Um, I mostly work on, on, uh, 
on drum machines and, and, and software instruments or sampling real things. So yeah, I don't have many pieces of equipment um, that are outboard. And this was like, this record helped inspire my purchase of my most recent synthesizer. And I went back to recreate all the things that I heard in it. And I still haven't nailed it. Like I'll have to just like <laughs> literally, literally ask the guy like how he did stuff. But for ambient fans, and especially people who, I've, I've noticed that I meet a lot of people who are um, in their 20s or uh, who are like new, weren't around in the 90s during the electronic music scene, and they've never heard of Fax Records. But uh, every time I mention it to somebody and they go and check it out, I get a, like a, a, a like excited emojis like holy, <laughs> like holy shit this is like every this like hits everything i've ever heard and and frankly short of like really really dark oppressive ambient music there's some on there on the label but like short of something that sounds like loose mord or yes. power electronics the label covered everything like there's not much music even my friends or my own or stuff that I see featured in magazines and all that probably wasn't covered by these guys like well over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and by somebody who I think most importantly, the, the, the thing that's so beautiful about Fax Records and, and this release in particular is that the people who are producing these records were around during the 70s and 80s during the Prague and Kraut years. Absolutely, yeah. And it's a completely more informed... It's not like me hacking my way through a a prosumer synthesizer that was sold to me at Guitar Center. It's somebody who was there from the beginning to where we are now. And their their detail and their understanding of the synth like a piano, like a real instrument, as opposed to a vehicle to a sound like a lot of electronic music today. You can tell this that the you can tell one is a master and one is a mentor, you know? I feel like a mentor when I listen to these records, you know, and there's still like a guiding light of um, anybody, anybody I know who's really, really into synthesizers generally are familiar with some of these artists. And um, it's continually used as sort of like a pinnacle point of of this is where we want to be at, like it, where the bar is at, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear you run through the fact that obviously they were as you say sort of present for the prog and i guess also some of the stuff that was going on kind of post-prog where people were sort of pulling apart prog rock and you had you know people from king crimson and soft machine sort of starting to really twist music up and bring in synthesizers but then also i guess it arrived at a time um around like post-rock and stuff as well right when you talk about aquatic drums and the way that the drum kit is sort of made into this more fluid entity within the the music that for me seems very resonant of what was going on in post-rock at that time where it was just trying to sort of crowbar out the drums at the center and just throw everything up in the air and just treat everything in a more democratic in terms of what came to the forefront and stuff like treat it in a more democratic way which i suppose yeah ties in with the you know what you're saying about the hollow sensation as well there's nothing anchoring it down to the floor what's a, what's a record that like comes to mind for you for that um like lab bradford or, or or something like that where it's um it feels like you've got 
guitars and you know things that feel more akin to to rock music and i'm talking in rock terms now but like then it's been completely unmoored from that stable foundation of say a rhythm or the drums being strictly the timekeeper or, or or you know there's 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 so much more textural focus on what's going on with any percussion that's present and in fact there's more of a textural focus on anything that's present at all and nothing is fixed in space you know everything can be uprooted and panned and moved around in yeah. a way which treats the studio with so much more emphasis as well yeah it's dub 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 techniques right in, in, in essence but yeah i think the post-rock thing actually is really important to, to mention because the 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 kraut you hear it because these guys were around in that and they were in germany when literally their buddies like claus schultz were you know making records but mm. i think that the 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 post-rock thing is interesting because it is the the those those early synth records they're still like they're um they're just they're exploiting the synthesizer let's put it that right, way right and they're the focus is on that and often the drums although they're electronic they're still like made to, to resemble some they're still very grounded mm -hmm. and you know they still have that craft work like tic tac you know uh, uh like a, about them and you know maybe cans drumming or some of the other faust stuff kind of touches on it but i think that it's, yes it's more dubby which yeah i actually don't know the band that you're talking about i'm gonna have to look that up what is it called lab radford yeah that's right yeah they i think they were around like early 90s um and they were kind of lumped into that whole post-rock crop that came around around that time there's tortoise in there too somewhere i don't know where oh yeah yeah absolutely it, it's i mean it's a much it's I think Tortoise was a little around a few years, just a few years afterwards, but yeah, in this it, with the same strokes from the jazz world, and there's there is a little bit of jazz actually to be to speak of on the fax label too. By the way, hmm. there is some um, there is some um, like global influences where there's some um, Middle Eastern influence stuff, and there is some jazz on the label too that blends with that. So it, it all kind of makes sense, but it's. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and it's hard to find. I can't find the CD anywhere, um, but I have one that is amazingly not scratched and plays <laughs> the whole way through that I've had since junior high. It's like wow. sitting here, like untouched, like next to a few other records that I don't want to ever fuck up. But um, <laughs> it's online. I can't seem to find part one on YouTube. But oh, really? I, I, the last time I looked, like I. Uh, let me see if it pops up. It, it just said part two. Huh. I found it somewhere. Oh, now I'm getting like UFO stuff. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, I, I've, well, got, I've got both of them, I think. Um, you do? Oh, okay. Cool. I'm typing Alien Community Namluk, and uh, yeah, there seems to be two that come up. Is the part one, does it start with interdimensional communication? Oh, oh you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Interdimensional communication, then a long and perilous voyage. Hmm. Yeah. And and it's got a very cute alien on the cover as well, mind you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a huge, huge, huge UFO and uh, paranormal buff, too. Anybody who knows me knows that. So, like, you got to imagine, like, uh, being a junior high student, hearing this spooky synthesizer music with aliens on the cover. And that was when the X-Files was actually just came out. Right. Like, that was X-Files, like, season one or two. Right. Of which is my still my favorite TV show, 
um but like the so the whole the whole ethos of the aliens and all that like you know it all went over really quite well you know <laughs> with me, and, me and my buddies we were we were really into that type of stuff i still am into all that type of stuff I think that these two records, you know, they really all tie into the ethos of what my project is about, essentially, which is, um, you know, it, it explores the the time, the linearity of time, um, man's uncertain nature of it. It's the only element that man can't conquer. You know, mm-hmm. we can we can do anything as human beings, but there's one thing that we'll never know the answer to. On in my opinion, which is how time works and and the mysteries associated with that. And that's why the name project is called Only Now. You know, it's a quite literal. Huh. Um, but it also begs to ask the question because there's tons of puns that could be made about the fucking band name. <laughs> like, my friends make tons of jokes about it. They're like, oh, is the record coming out only now? Or is it, uh, are you only now a good musician? <laughs> Because this record got a lot more attention than your other work, and it's like, oh, oh. thanks, that's asshole. A lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously like joking around. So, the, but there's, but the true nature of this record really does go to the cosmic and beyond, and explores experiences that I've had, and I've, I'm intrigued with around time and linearity and um, human existence. Whether that's the psychic nature of time, and what does that mean? Like, what does that mean to humans? If somebody can have a clear audience or foresee the future and be right about it or have dreams, which I think most people have had, or I think I read somewhere that 50% of the population has had dreams that they knew could have never been predicted to them. Huh. And then they've had those experiences or deja vu. Right. Or people who tell things about past lives that they would have never known like like there's a famous story about a young girl in india who talks about a british national or a, a french national and like living two centuries before and then they researched it and it turned out to all be true it's like a villager in kolkata you know wow so there's these there's all these things and it those that realm goes from the hokey to the very compelling you know mm-hmm. and i think that that was what I'm most fascinated by and I wanted the project to kind of raise the esoteric nature of because I've all I've had a lot of confounding experiences in in that as within my family too, my mother so it's it's something that has always perplexed me and always um sort of driven me forward and it's 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 a personal battle and it's a personal exploration and i think you know these records like the volan one definitely addresses like that sort of cosmic nature and their lyrics and their approach um as with this namluk release um and the skinny puppy maybe not as much but it's very a very trippy record (laughs) but and then and then you know um and 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 i think that um when we were talking about my release earlier with the Merciless Destiny and Black Wind record, like, like I was saying, like, it's hard for me to ignore what's in front of me 
when the when so many things are happening that are social issues when i and i've tried to make this record this project not about that and go beyond that but i've i've had these like sort of like oscillations where i have to get involved um or have to put the music to what's happening in front of me and step away from the what i would like always like the record to be the the project to be about mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i want it to be esoteric but i keep it's hard for me to fight it's hard to fight that uh, of, of trying to actually get in rooted more in reality and um and that's my personal battle as a as a person philosophically and that's also my musical battle too because like we were me and jack were talking offline but i do work in the industry too so i i do have to deal with commercial music i do make reggae records i have more reggae and dancehall out than i have of the only now stuff if you look my discographies up yes um, yeah and and i've always tussled with like trying to make a record that is like appealing to certain audiences but still inject my flavor into it and frankly i think a lot of my records will fall into like the global base and like sort of like the f future dance hall stuff and it got some small notable recognition for that and i still operate in those communities and i have a few records i'll speak of in a second coming up in that but i had to start only now because it was just i just wanted no boundaries i never wanted to talk to a vocalist again um hmm. i never wanted to have anybody's input frankly hmm. on the records and i wanted it to be about just me and and my own uh, my own journeys and things like that. And now Kush and I embark on a track by track breakdown of his new EP Black Wind Merciless Destiny. You've got two parts of Black Wind and their sequence at the beginning and the end of the record, and then you've got the three Merciless Destiny sections in the middle, separated um, by a short piece called Arrow. Um, so I see that from 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 my end, you've you've got this immersion within this current coronavirus climate. That it's at the beginning and the end, and everything else is is occurring within this you know ridiculous situation. But can you tell me from from your side what was the thinking behind the sequencing here? That was um, the very first black wind is um, made up of snakes sound of um me dragging chains around um it's all very literal frankly the way i do sound design mm. you know you you hear it throughout the records there's snakes there's whips there's chains there's um the sound of liquid flowing like blood um and it's there was like a sort of a siren song sort of like a flute there you hear in the beginning of it and it's sort of the immersion into where we are today and we're sw swimming amongst snakes um we're trying to break our bonds you know from this physical and mental slavery that i feel like we're in as a society just unable to change the way that we operate you know mm -hmm. and 
that was coming in and you hear the choral pieces as well that kind of drift in and out and those pieces sort of like to tie back i don't reference mythology much in my music i'm honestly not really well read in it Hmm. i'm more read i'm more familiar with the concepts from it through other music and art (laughs) than i am actually with the material i just don't read that much i just end up just making music instead (laughs) so um for me there's like the siren songs that reminds me of you know greek mythology Hmm. where you hear that coming from the ocean so it's a wave it's a wind it's coming it's definitely not going to be good Uh, so that's sort of like the introduction of the whole thing and i i try really hard if i use human elements there's no vocals in the only now project if you've noticed Mm -hmm. across the releases um there's been like one to two samples um but i do release a lot of vocal music under kush aurora under my name as and i've done a lot more releases traditionally up until only now came with you know dance hall artists and 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 things like that so i try to not use any voices unless they're my own Mm -hmm. in in this but i felt like a collective consciousness um and utilizing of sort of these choral structures to amplify um the urgency and then humans sort of like coming out being ducked in and out of the wind as they are in the piece sort of show the tumultuousness of what is going on so it's it's quite a literal introduction into the world and the web that we're being wo- woven into today Merciless Destiny, which was the single that also came out, which is like the one, I guess, based off the feedback people have given me, it's the like the 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 one from the record, whatnot, the sort of like um, catchy beat song right. of sorts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that had a lot had a lot to unpack with it as well, and I think if you read that that. Um, that I wear my heart on my sleeve on a lot of my influences on my records. Mm-hmm. And I think Tim, who runs Unsung Hunger, is my, uh, helps with press on this release and contacted you. He and I were talking about how this song is sort of like reminds me of Bolt Thrower, which is a classic British anti-war band, metal uh-huh. death metal band um, that I grew up on, as well as probably most anybody who listened to metal in the 90s until now is a very influential British act. And I see sort of that song and their message, much like my message, is just that this humans will continue to fight. They'll always fight each other into every scenario until they completely ruin it. No matter how present or unpresent they are about it, it's it's somehow embedded in the nature that the wall, even if the, the minions don't want to, the ones at the top definitely want to, to tear us apart. Hmm. Or to get to the top, you have to have that nature. And I think that that's something that's really um, present today 
across all leaders in the world. It's like, if you want to get to that place, you already have to have something fucking wrong with you. <laughs> so you're not going to be a good leader in the first place. Mm -hmm. So this Merciless Destiny is just like a battle song, essentially. It's a battle that's happening. It was really happening. I mean, the fireworks and gunshots and people protesting here in Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco area, especially in the months of June, Hmm. And up to July, it was crazy. I mean, I've never seen anything like this in my life in the States. It's like something that you would watch happening in a foreign country where Americans somehow think that they still live in some pinnacle of society. With reality, most of America is shit poor. There's hardly any jobs. And mm -hmm. it's been this way since most of my life, I think. You know, only in the cities in the States is there really this sort of like the factory of American ingenuity that is pitched to those coming to this country. It might be a better place than somewhere with far less resources or, or money, but for the resources and the money that flows through this country, it's done its absolute job of being the best worst management <laughs> of, <laughs> of its resources. It's For the amount of cash that flows through this place, it is hands down the worst managed major country in the world it treats its citizens like shit people treat each other like shit and they f love to fight with each other they don't love to listen to each other and i think that that's where really the merciless destiny is coming there you hear the you hear a lot of whips there's a lot of swords that i had sampled earlier in my career hmm. that are utilized and then there's um a metallic drumming um with samples made from me banging on pipes and stuff around here and some sample packs and things like that but it really is sort of like a battle cry, and it was sort of my soundtrack to what was happening in specifically a lot in Oakland and in um, Wisconsin and in other places, you know, throughout the time, New York City, too. And um, sort of the lead up to what was going to get worse, essentially, because mm -hmm. that was fairly early on in this entire thing. People were still grappling with the fact that the coronavirus has actually kind of put everything to a true global standstill. Uh-huh. Um, which has its pros and cons, you know. Um, I think the world needs to stop every now and then, and this made that happen in some ways and provided a global consciousness, which I, that's the one positive aspect of this entire thing. Mm -hmm. um, but that so merciless destiny kind of like it sets the stage for now what will be the economic and the personal and spiritual and along with the political battles that that have gone up till then that's what that song is about just a splinter punk type of um split it really is like you know it's like being in a riot that's how i i think of arrow and that's why it's called arrow vengeance because 
it's sort of that emotion. And I was very frustrated during a lot of this too, because I have to look after my parents and I have to look after a child. Hmm. So I was not able to be physically as present in, in what was happening here. Um, on the streets, particularly in in Oakland and San Francisco, as I would have liked to be, between trying to pay the bills, because I still have a job, and make sure I don't kill my parents, because they're old, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and not be in the middle of literal riots and people, like, screaming on top of each other and things. It's very spiritually disturbing to me, because I'm made to go to places like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And... I couldn't be as present as I wanted to be because I had to think beyond. I had to go back to that sort of nihilistic beyond the pale thinking that I've kind of embedded into myself is that, you know, whether I'm here today and I'm out there donating all my money to whatever good causes there need to be, that this is still going to be what it is. And unless, you know, something changes with leadership or just you can switch the puppet but it might the problems are still the same you know i'll go between these bipolar oscillations of just completely not giving two fucks about it (laughs) right because it's hopeless and it doesn't matter if obama jumps off a cliff to uh, not obama i mean frankly it doesn't matter And, and a lot of people would take offense to that it doesn't matter whether it's trump or obama it's just that the problems and the, the those are just the puppets. But the people behind those puppets, sure, Trump is a horrible asshole. Obama sold a fake lot, a fake campaign that he was going to stop the war, but he actually bombed more people than Bush did. Hmm. So, you know, all that stuff, those are guys are just faces. What happens behind those doors and behind the pol- political systems in, in the global system is is much more embedded and the characters don't come and go every four years. They're lifetime characters and mm-hmm. they advise multiple administrations who have different philosophies along one one another, but they stay there and they keep the things in place. So whether these guys are swept off and we have like a, the coolest guys ever being the president and the local <laughs> mayors, you know, maybe on the local level, I do believe in change in that respect, but then you have like on a global level it doesn't change so it's like you see even in this conversation i'm going 180 degrees one way (laughs) 180 degrees the other way and that's exactly what's intended to happen Hmm. and that cognitive dissonance of two truly caring to being not caring at all because you feel hopeless that is that slavery that we're trying to escape because that's how many people feel you know Hmm. and um especially in our field you know i feel that i see this commonality between a lot of other musicians especially make darker music or whatnot and vengeance was sort of my riot song and if you go to the very first only now release the first only now song is called mid riot and that was done in the time where there was other police shootings happening in the bay area Hmm. (laughs) so nothing is fucking changed here i mean it's just like people just you know and it's 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 black people it's mexican folks it's indian people it doesn't matter it's white people it's like everybody is subject to the the mismanagement of an oppression it's it's not just like a one race one thing it's it affects everybody so um that venge, ve, uh, arrow vengeance is sort of like imagine you've gone through the battle and the first lead up to 
where we are as humans, especially locally. And then the people come back and they turn the heat up. The system turns the heat up, which mm. they did. They, you know, there were kids out here protesting. A high school took a march. And by the end of that march, the police came and gassed half those fucking kids. So, you know, that's the type of emotion that those those types of songs are trying to do and you hear me screaming in it you hear me breaking stuff in 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 it and it's just one synthesizer it's just like a a linear monolithic sort of attack you know like an arrow it's just one piece one sound one thing that goes straight you know to that and it's sort of seen like um i guess you could say like these pieces that are between the black wind mm-hmm. they're sort of like mental weapons or armory against what's happening from my perspective like i want i want my friends and the people out there to listen to it as weapons of resistance you know and in the way that they think and how when they get worked up and their blood starts boiling about these types of things that's this is the type of music you should be (laughs) turning on because that's what i'm thinking Uh over here you know um when doing that Then there's Merciless Destiny Part Two, right? That's a little bit slower and, and more deconstructed mm-hmm. in in that song, and that's sort of I, I can't say that it's worlds apart from the first Merciless Destiny song. It uses some of the same sound set, um, but it's crumbled and destroyed mm. in that, and that's sort of like the end of. It's purposely done in such a way that you think it would be like another banger, you know, like they would have like, <laughs> you know, that the beat would just keep going and that you could DJ it and all that shit like that or whatnot. I still think most of this music is fairly hard to DJ, um, but it's sort of dense. But mm-hmm. as far as that goes, it was about even coming back heavier and harder, you know, um, mm-hmm. like in in the sense of the first philosophy of the merciless destiny is like all right you've had that release you've gone from that you know the merciless one to arrow to this and it starts off with some of the same sounds from the black wind so you know there was a lot going on fourth of july happened um people are just like you know things are really starting to to, to peel apart and i had finished most of this song to be totally transparent right before that but i was still finessing it and working through some of the last pieces of it um and here we are again in like a dead stare where nothing has changed and actually things have taken a turn for the worse on a global on a on a level with corona and with the economy here in the states um around that time a lot of people started losing more work and things like that too Hmm. and um it became apparent that nothing was going to change so i think what happened around that time is the states really split 
it had already been that way, but I think it, it really amplified even in more liberal or more, quote, educated places like California or New York, where people just decided to opt out. Shit, like, you know, like in some places, I feel like late in April or even in in May, June, people had decided that, you know, I'm just going to go do what I, I got to do. Right. And then it'll probably be fine by end of summer. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> end of summer was, end of summer is right now, but like, you know, people were thinking, okay, you know, we're going to get a sense of what's going on. Um, other countries are doing okay or whatnot, but it, it just became clear that the, the fog is not lifting. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot worse. And um, the, the issues that were happening around Black Lives Matter and um, the internment centers here in the state started becoming more of a, a discussion, more fundraising started happening, and more good activity happened. So I feel like it was stage two of the battle, which we're still in, but um, I wanted to explore movements around that. There's some screams and um, sort of slower rotations in that song and um eventually it just crumbles in and of itself and i felt like that's how i felt at the time like really trying to be productive trying to do things um trying to talk to have conversations with people and i think you know a few people i know died um some uh, other people committed suicide mm-hmm. i mean things started getting real fucking dark out here and then um you know then I just sort of let the song crumble on it on itself, and then I I did the um, the pseudo guitar outerlude of the song, hmm. which is a theme that I've sort of presented through in a lot of my work over the last few years too, which is um, which tries to bring some type of musical light or or sort of sort of um, like burial. To that track, right. in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like a happy thing, but it's not an unpretty melody either. It sort of like reminds me of a lot of the stuff I loved from Scandinavian and and um, death metal and black metal. Mm. You know, in the middle of a record, no matter if you like the genre of music or not, you know, like my wife hates the shit, or <laughs> you know, a lot of people do. But those interludes and outros on those records from the '90s and 2000s and stuff like that it doesn't matter what type of music you like you're, you're probably going to find it very at least be able to appreciate its musicality and pretty finger gu- guitar picking type stuff totally so those are super emotional for me it takes me tons of time to write those because i don't play guitar because it's not a guitar it's actually just uh, me using physical modeling synthesis mm. so it's me faking my way through wishing i learned metal guitar <laughs> <laughs> And channeling the best and most emotional aspects of of that, which I feel are just totally missing from a lot of the really, really awesome sort of culture warrior music that I've embraced and promote a lot. Not whether I'm making it or I'm DJing it or putting it on my radio show and not, which is all the gom and Kaduro and all the new stuff that's coming out of East Africa and South Asia. I still or quote-unquote deconstructed club music Mm. i still feel that there's like a real there's still like a a, and it's not a diss on anybody because there's such an emerging 
genre and so many people who are producing these records these are some of their first records but there there's just a lack of an album feel or any type of um sort of like river of emotions that come with a lot of those records mm -hmm. they're very new and they're the very very fucking innovative but they still don't address what an album is or an ep is in a linear sense Hmm. And that's why I put these pieces in my work, because I feel like there needs to be, there's a lot of emotional baggage to un un unpack, and it might not really hit me or the listener unless there's some musicality brought into the entire s scenario, some tale to be told of sort, like a sad tale to tell, you know? Mm-hmm. Then we have Merciless Destiny Part 3. Well, just like a lot of the records I picked, it just won't stop. <laughs> so, um, this piece is a little bit different, I have to say. <clears throat> this piece I struggled with putting on the release um, because it wasn't, it was formulated a bit earlier than, than a lot of these pieces, uh, much like Arrow. And I didn't quite find the place. It had been sitting around in, in, in my drive for on and off for about six eight months um prior the early experiments of it and this is um two synthesizers physical modeling synthesizers um for software called chromophone which to me if you people who are listening i'm assuming about half of us make records so um <laughs> you know uh Ableton has two physical modeling synthesizers called uh, Tension and Collision that come with Ableton. Those are made by a company named Applied Acoustic Systems, and they make a lot of other software instruments as well, of which I think that they are the best physical modeling synthesizers that are easily out there in the mass market um, other than the s sculpture and logic. Um, hmm. And one of my partners in music uh, the guy who put out my first record um robbie martin aka fluorescent gray who runs record label records had turned me on to this um and ever since then it's on like all my records um it allows you to choose you know beams pipes um membranes sheets plates and it models the physical coupling of surfaces like that so these were euclidean sequencer experiments that I had been working with um, as well, and I was trying to find a place for that. And I figured after the complete devolution of the beats and sort of like a pretty moment of jest there to relax, um, that I didn't want the listener thinking that that this record is you know over or this battle is over. And I wanted to take the notch up to just about two more meters into the harrowing descent that I feel we're in right now uh -huh. and that's sort of where that that came in and there's a lot of micro tuning and, and shifting in that but that's i guess that's coming from more of like a sort of unclassical or noise approach um of which i grew up my first records out, outside of like high school punk demos or whatever were ambient and noise records that were my first releases in the 90s so that's definitely the 
the ecosystem I grew up in, and um, I don't really do too much of it as as far as noise releases because I always feel like uh, it's it's strange to say this, but it's like punk in a way that like unless there's something to contribute, I don't <laughs> want to really add to the pile, right. And unless it's really just good for what it is, I don't want to add to the pile. And I felt like, <laughs> like here there was something to. I didn't. I don't hear much stuff done with um, physical modeling in in sort of sequencing in in a more spiritual or cyclical fashion. Um, I don't hear enough of it. I, I hear some of it through some of these neoclassical boomcat type releases mm -hmm. through some of the work from Kelly Moran, who I saw play with Merzbo. Um, and um, there's a few other, there's a few other people who've done it and maybe Sot as well. Who's actually, he was also released on record label records as his first release as well. And we, us guys went to school together when we were younger. Um, so like I've heard it in different contexts, whether it's, synthesis or like Suntour and stuff like that but I felt like this was my contribution to that and it really kind of took the listener in a different direction um from the melody that was present earlier in the record and kind of regrounded it back to the opening the opening vibe and um there's a lot of reverb and things that kind of descend and shimmer hmm. into like a sort of a Dante's Inferno type of atmosphere you know um once again, this kind of goes back to the very first Only Now release. There is a song called Dante on the on the second side of the tape. Huh. And that sort of trend has similar... It actually uses the same sequencing technology, but there's some drums in it as opposed to like this. Um, so this sort of picks up. There's some parallels between this release and the very first Only Now release. Um, uh, and... I try to mirror that so that people can see the lineage of the techniques being evolved over time. And um, it's sort of like my one foray uh, back into that. There's a record about three records ago called Ultimatum 1 and 2. And that is also... Ultimatum 1 is a clean version and Ultimatum 2 is a shattered and burnt version of the basically the same synthesizers and... Um, techniques use and you can check that out if it's also on Bandcamp as well and that's uh, a beatless but a cyclical sequencing um, type experiment finish the record off i almost didn't put this on honestly was black wind part two and that's more of my you know trying to jazz about and try to figure out how uh, how <laughs> groups like dissection or um immortal or some of the um the the scandinavian greats or some of even other local things like um 
around here like disparate uh, other bands like that I, I really really do like when i'm running or when i'm alone or when i'm smoking weed and hanging out and stuff like that that's the type of shit that i'm listening to <laughs> right before i make music uh-huh so uh, that's the type of records that i really that really get me jazzed up and really amped and this one was a little bit more uh unlike the outro of merciless destiny or my previous release on Discrepant Captivity, which had another two sort of guitar-type interludes. This one was almost a little bit more medieval and sort of uh, on the f- on the ver. It was a bit on the verge for me of feeling like a soundtracky or um, a hammer dulcimer uh-huh. of sorts. And I was like, oh, is I wanted to leave people hanging with uh with the previous song because it was just so bleak and so uh and so um there's not like a light in sight on 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 the previous song Hmm. um but i figured hey if this helps uh, this actually kind of goes back to the political motivations of it i was like well if this helps find a few more people through Bandcamp search or people appreciate this um, piece that honestly has no home. I made it as sort of a, a originally this was going to be the conclusion of the record. And then I decided that it wasn't enough and it, what the record wasn't intense enough and that it was just getting all soft at the end. So <laughs> then I put on um, Merciless Destiny Part 3 to like, and that's why the titling is also Merciless Destiny Part 3 because it's still part of that battle. Hmm. You know, and then this is why it's Black Wind is sort of like you come in with a very ominous feeling and you leave with a ominous feeling, although a prettier one, you know, and I figured, (laughs) hey, and it's actually interesting. I've noticed some people have only bought that song. And if that helps me put money into somebody's pocket for bail or uh, some local food bank or something like that, even though we're talking, I've hardly made a dime off any of this stuff. It doesn't matter. Money is money, and me transferring it from point A to point B to help somebody out is more important than whether this song is not the best way to end the record or something like that. So there was sort of mixed emotions on whether I should include that because it's a tad redundant from some of the things that happened earlier in the release. But I get a lot of good feedback about these interludes and outros, so I said, hey, if people like this, you know, I'll just throw it on for them. briefly about what you've got coming in the in the pipeline kush what's um yeah what's on the horizon yeah so uh as mentioned earlier you can go to kusharora.com which will take you to my band camp and it has my full discography of the stuff under my name and also only now and all the releases that are on my label for when you're going to be hearing this everything is is pay as you will everything is priced at zero and every dollar and cent that i get will be going towards bail funds at least for this episode will be going to stuff in kenosha wisconsin i've decided Mm. um and based off of what's been happening there and the arrests and things like that Mm -hmm. but um while corona is corona is happening and the world is struggling i'm not charging anything for my music because why i mean what's gonna change um uh and uh 
you can see my discography there and um I think what you're next going to see up is my uh, next release with Discrepant Recordings, who's right. a very compelling label out of uh, Lisbon and London. Mm-hmm. And they put out my uh, last release, Captivity, on vinyl, which is still available in Europe and in the U.S. You can order it from me or order it in, in the U.S. side, or you can order it from, from them if you're in the European or Asian side. And um, they also did my first split with my old bandmate, Lucas Patsik, uh, Orogen, and that was only now in Orogen, and that was a self-titled release that came out about two years ago, and that's available as a cassette, and uh, that is a non-beat, super, super aquatic, yes, in the realm of the Jonah Sharp and Pete <laughs> Namlik, but really, really, I would call exothermic uh, ambient. It's like like planetary kind of um, rumbling, shifting, tectonic you know, um, solar ambient type of music. Um, and we have part two of that record coming out and it's called a Vulse and it drops on October 9th. Um, and it'll be on on cassette and it's a pop up. The pre-order will probably pop up by the time this podcast airs. And that is another, uh, 40 minute, um, continual, uh, it's the continual release, so this you you'll have track markers, but it is to be played in in one setting, each side of the tape. It's continuous. It's fully mixed, and this is actually us exploring um, some more seething, more sinister ambience with um, a little bit of beat structure that you would be hearing from the only now side, and. Um, but very very slowed down. Like some of the songs are at like thirty BPM. Um, wow! <laughs> like, really, I'll send it to you, Jack. I'll send it to you right after Wicked. this. But it's like really, really seething, crumbling, planetary ambience. And and in this, we actually brought in a human element. The last record was completely off-world, and in this, we've processed some choral type recordings and some of our own voices and we've actually like broken down and we're like all right dude okay we'll make a fucking beat (laughs) like you know all right because we tried not to for a long time but we just came up with some really cool ideas so it's spatialized too and hopefully we'll be doing a surround performance of this release we have a few songs mixed in uh in surround but due to the due to what's going on we haven't the venue that we were talking with it just sort of dissipated and um that's Lucas is my partner, and he and I have made records together since um, we were 16. So we spent Thanks. over half our life making music together. So it's we have a real good um, rhythm with one another, and uh, yeah. And then after that, um, in October, I'll have a record with Eddie Hill, and what he's a New York dancehall artist. And with Sim, who's a Canadian-based uh, producer as well, and he does a lot of um, sort of like really, really forward-leaning electronic dancehall. He's done some stuff with um, 45 DeBoss and a few other notable up-and-coming dancehall artists and done stuff on Moonshine Recordings, which is a cool dub label out of UK. And that is a first single is called Back Half Bend and we're shooting a video for that right now um, next week in New York with um, one of New York's top dance hall uh, dance teams and um, that is like a record which is like a straight bashment sort of a cross between what they would call FDM which is flex dance music which is like super dancer oriented Brooklyn style uh, New York dance hall 
and it's very cybernetic has a lot of like synthesizers fast tempos um quick edits it doesn't flow as easy and is not as all pop syrupy as as like current state of dance hall right now right and uh so it has two or three singles like that in that realm and that's coming up as well and then um the one i'm most excited about just because it's different is a collaboration with um a group named king woman who are who are a indie metal doom band that's on relapse recordings which is a quite a well-known metal label Mm -hmm. um, extreme music label um me and their bassist and guitarist uh work together and we developed a friendship and we've uh, made an only now um and his name is peter arnsdorf and only now peter arnsdorf release which we haven't titled yet but it's being wrapped up as we speak and it's basically me doing doom wild west um ambient and so it's like doom metal um and then he's a brilliant guitarist so it's like him doing finger picking and um it's sort of themed around all the ghost towns in california and the west coast so it's sort of like ghost town mining town ambient and doom with a few beats in there so like some of the slower heavier aquatic submerged only now type of beats Mm -hmm. and then he plays guitar and then i treat the rest of it and do all the rest of the music so it's my first foray into rock music after being a probably listening to more of that genre than electronic music frankly for most of my life (laughs) and um it's a brilliant collab i I, I'm, i'm personally really excited about it and it came out way better than i thought it would um so there's about two or three pieces of what you would call like desert ambience, a la Steve Roach or Vina Omana from that kind of school. Uh-huh. Um, or maybe even some early controlled bleeding and things like that. And then the others sort of could be compared to uh, The Bug and Earth did right. a release. Yeah, yeah. But it, I love Earth and I love Bug. I have crazy respect for both of them and I've... I've talk to bug and he's a very good guy and all but the record is not really what i thought it would be let me put it that way i thought it would sound like earth being dubbed by bug a little bit but it 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 does it for me in some parts like some of the ambient parts but the parts where the beats go i feel like the, the the bug part is too plug and play for me right fair. like it just feels really mechanical like it's like okay bug had some beats and he put it down and then they played it but the guitar is all fluid and beautiful and slowly evolving like earth yeah and us guys i didn't actually listen to that record in full until after we started this project because he the guitarist had heard it and was a fan of it and i was like really i'd sort of skim through it and i wasn't like too thrilled about it but i'd st- I, I love both these artists a lot uh-huh and this record from what i've shown to people is some people say it's what they thought that record would sound like <laughs> ah, interesting right so i mean these are two mentors like i i look up to these artists in incredibly like i really really do look up to both of those bands quite a bit um but it it has sort of more of that west coast spirit you know uh-huh. and i kind of let the guitar lead and i try not to make the beats be like front and center more as shimmering alongside and not it's not like a dub thing it's more of like a submersion and it has more doom influence more sun o more that type of influence than it does than than it does say dubstep you know mm-hmm. 
So that's what's coming up for the rest of the year from my side. Um, and that's what I have on deck. And then early 2020 will be another onslaught of Only Now releases. Excellent. I mean, 2021, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Kush, great to hear such a prolific 2020 coming your way or the rest of it at least um thank you so much for for talking through these records and your own music as well i've had the best time absolutely and thanks for um sharing this with your listeners and 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 folks who are listening feel free to reach out to me on socials i'm very i'm a very easy person to find under kush aurora i don't have any only now profiles but um feel free to message me i'm always here to trade music exchange ideas work on collaborations and and share um the one thing in the world that can't be corrupted which is audio so yeah beautiful then to everyone listening i'll see you next time goodbye goodbye